0: Welcome back to a bit of fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I am glad you're here. Welcome to season three. It's almost over, actually. We've got this week and next week, and that is it. If you've been around since the beginning, it's really good to see you. Thank you for coming back. If you're new, welcome. This is a safe space where I talk about pop culture that has no real relevance to anything. I also like to throw in random stories about myself, which is just kind of fun for me, and you get the chance to hear about a really weird girl who likes movies too much. This season, of course, we're exploring movie musicals. It's another list day. For this episode, we're diving into my top lists of musicals from the 1980s and 90s. And this was hard. Let's just, let's put it out there. Let's just say it and be done with it. The 80s and 90s were not the golden years of the movie musical. And the Googles was terribly unhelpful and confusing. And what their metadata is calling a musical during those decades. Just because there is music in a movie does not a musical movie make. I did manage to pull together five for the list in the 80s, but I gave up in the 90s. There's really only one of note, but we'll get to that in a second. First, let's dive into the list of the top musicals from the 80s. Number five, Grease 2 came out in 1982. This is Probably by far the cheesiest movie I will be talking about this season. Oh, actually, there's one in the 90s that's pretty cheesy, too. But it's on this list because I find the music perfectly hilarious and campy, and you get a young Michelle Pfeiffer, so that feels like reason enough, you know? It's a new generation at Rydell High, a new delegation of T-Birds and Pink Ladies. When this young guy from England enrolls into the school, he actually knows Frenchie from the original. There's a few people that are back the principles the same uh but he he ends up falling for stephanie who is a pink lady she's not quite the leader there doesn't seem to be a standout leader she's she is kind of the rizzo character though she's kind of the bad girl in the group well he throws everything into chaos he goes and buys a motorcycle and he starts wearing really tight clothing bodysuits, uh, and shows up in random locations to catch your eye it works. He He's the cool rider. I always said I would never sing, but it just, movie musicals, it just brings it out of me. I cannot stop it. So he becomes the mysterious motorcycle guy that she just falls in love with, much to the chagrin of Nogarelli, who was Stephanie's ex-boyfriend and the leader of the T-Birds. The movie, the movie is ridiculous. So there's the scene in a bowling alley where, they're dancing with so-called bowling balls, but are flinging them around like they weigh nothing. And the best song, when when one of the T-birds, I think his name is Demucci, he's trying to sleep with his pink lady girlfriend Sharon. Her name is Sharon. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with the name Sharon, but when there's Nogarelli and Demucci, and then you've got Sharon, well, he takes her to an old bomb shelter, and the other T-birds help make help not uh, Demucci make her believe that the, there's been a bomb and they're now stuck in the shelter and you know, they're going to need to repopulate the world. So they start singing this song and making out and one of the lines is, just think about it. It would be like, like as if we're doing it for the Statue of Liberty or the Grand Canyon or the New York Yankees. It would be like as if we were doing it for Disneyland. Oh. And that's not only the best Song, but one of the main reasons that the stupid movie is on this list, just love it. There, oh, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is singing about the cool writer on a ladder. Then there's a luau at the end instead of a carnival like at the beginning or at the end of the first one. Um, this this group gets a a luau. Oh, just watch it, watch it, and just enjoy. So that was number five. Number four, I'm not going to d- dive into this one too much uh, because little spoiler about the podcast, we're going to be talking about this fairly soon, but number four goes to the best little whorehouse in Texas, came out in 1982 as well, I think. Yes, there are a lot of 1982s on this list. Um, We've got Mona, the madam of a whorehouse in Texas known as the Chicken Ranch, a historical establishment that's been (laughs) servicing the state for generations. The local sheriff, he kind of turns a blind eye to the shenanigans that ensue, and the townsfolk all just kind of know what the men are up to when they go for a visit. But when the chicken ranch catches the attention of Melvin P. Thorpe, a consumer watchdog and TV personality, its days are numbered. So why is this one on the list? Well, because of Dolly Parton, of course. She plays the madam, Mona. It's a sassy little movie about a hardworking woman who feels no shame or guilt for making a life for herself, and also an attention-seeking narcissist who is more of a, oof, I hate to say it, but it's in the title, more of a whore-seeking fame than any of the women at the ranch. And then you throw in a small-town sheriff who is forced to grow up, and there's, there's great songs. Um, some of them are just Dolly's songs. <laughs> and then you've got Burt Reynolds. I just, it's a winner all around all around. Best song. It's got to be Dolly's opening number, a little pissant country place where she sings about the kitchen, the kitchen ranch, the chicken ranch. Love it. So that was number four. Number three. This one came out in 1980. It's the live action version of Popeye. If you're a fan of Robin Williams or a fan of the classic cartoon Popeye, and you haven't seen this one, it's It's best you put it on your list and get it right away. It really is just that. It's just kind of a live-action version of the cartoons. Popeye arrives in Sweet Haven looking for his pappy and is immediately seen as kind of an outsider among the quirky residents. He gets a place at a local boarding house where he meets Olive Oil, who is getting engaged to Bluto, the kind of angry pseudo-mayor of the town. Um, He kind of leads not even by default, there's this mysterious character known as the Commodore who is using Bluto uh, to kind of run the town. And Robin Williams finds a baby with olive oil, which turns out to be Sweet Pea. And Sweet Pea has the ability to predict the future. And then Spoiler finds out, uh, Popeye finds out his pappy is in the area looking for a treasure. That little summary does not do this this gem justice. It's sweet, and it's atmospheric with a really unique setting and actors that completely embody the char- cartoon characters. It's nearly impossible to understand Popeye most of the time, which makes the songs and dialogue kind of fun. Olive Oil, uh, well, I'll get to that, I guess, but this live adaptation is just way before its time and one that doesn't get enough respect and recognition. The best song, it's called He's Large. Um, so olive oil is getting ready for her engagement party. She is really wanting to run away. She's in her room getting dressed. And as she's singing about blue toe, that he's large, he, she's tricking basically the other women in the room to thinking that she is into this really wants to get married, but she's actually packing a suitcase and ends up like hopping out the window it's it's a song that I actually sing quite a bit. That little part about being large gets stuck in my head. So that's number three, Popeye. Number two, this one has grown on me over the years. The first time I saw it, I thought it was kind of overly long. But with m- multiple viewings and a discovery that the movie was directed by Frank Oz, and really getting an appreciation for the songs that is now one of my faves of the 80s. It's Little Shop of Whores, came out in 1986. You have Seymour Krelborn. He works in Mushnick's flower shop in Skid Row. He's kind of this nerdy guy that takes care of the plants, has a hard time talking to people, and is just hopeful hopelessly in love with his co-worker Audrey, who's in a in an abusive relationship with a psychotic dentist. And one day, Seymour discovers this plant species he's never seen, and he gets it into his head that if um, they put this plant in the window so that passersby see it, it'll you know draw their attention and encourage them to come into this the floundering store. They're not selling any plants. Well, the plan works, and Mushnik's place gets a lot of business. But then Seymour discovers that his strange little plant is actually a. A carnivorous alien species that needs human blood to survive, completely turning his quiet life upside down. So, why is this one on the list? Rick Moranis has had such a run before he decided to step away from acting. He definitely found his little corner of the acting world as the kind of dorky, unassuming wallflower that you just can't help but love. Everything is that way in Ghostbusters, Little Giants, Honey Eyed Shrunk the Kids. This one is filled with a dark kind of humor that I really enjoy. A, a doo woppy soundtrack almost, and tons of high profile cameos that really up the ante. You know they're coming, but every time you see different people, uh, you get kind of excited that they're there. Rumor has it that there's a remake in production, and I can't I can't wait for that. Best song goes to um, "Suddenly Seymour," of course. The way Ellen Green's Audrey sings. And I I wish I could mimic it. I cannot. But she sings Suddenly Seymour. Just that line. Suddenly The way she does it as the song goes on kills me. It gets more dramatic and almost choppy. She enunciates everything. It's just really funny. (laughs) So that is number two. And hopefully you know what number one is. If you've been listening, you know what number one is. Number one is, of course... Annie also came out in 1982. Apparently, 82 was a good year for musicals. They all just came out in 82. I've already sung the praises of this favorite. I mean, it's my all time favorite musical. It's just a sweet story about an orphan who basically wins the lottery and gets to spend the week living with a billionaire who eventually adopts her. Please listen to the episode. I think it was episode four to hear me just go on and on and on about it but it's a movie about resilience and hope and leaping lizards so check out episode four best song though goes to maybe uh so we hear annie sing it at the very beginning of the movie that's that's kind of that's the opening scene really she's sitting in a windowsill in the orphanage and she's singing maybe um dreaming about the family she hopes to be reunited with one day and who in her head she dreams that they are. But then there's, I don't know, is it called a reprise? Reprise? Reprise. reprise. But you hear um, the song come back. So when Annie is driving away with the fake mudges, there's been the the quest to find Annie's parents. Um, Daddy Warbucks is offering this reward, if if anybody can find them or knows their whereabouts, Miss Hannigan, who runs the orphanage, her brother and his girlfriend pretend to be them. They get Annie and the reward. They're driving off, and then you hear Daddy Warbucks, um, Albert Finney, sing a version of it, and it just kind of breaks your heart. And maybe I'll forget just how much she meant to me. I just I love it. It's my favorite. Okay, now about the 90s. Uh, I only managed to come up with three titles. I considered putting some animated Disney movies on the list, but since I've already talked about them in season one, I thought it best to just be honest and say that the 90s were a horrible decade for movie musicals and Finding Three was even a stretch. There is only one of note that is near and dear to my heart and that episode was posted last Friday, so hopefully you know which one I'm going to say. Um... But now that that's been said, here's the th- three musicals I could come up with. Number 3 goes to 1999's Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. This one walks the line of not counting, too. The vast majority of the musical is set up like a theater production, but since they do have clips of kids in a singing in a school singing, I'm going to count it. In case you're not familiar, this lovely little musical tells the story of Joseph, son of Jacob, and he's one of 12 brothers. He is gifted a beautifully colored coat by his father, which really shows how much he's adored by his father and kind of gives him favor in the eyes of his brothers, who get pretty ticked off by the whole event. Then pair that with the fact that Joseph has a prophetic dream where he is ruling over them, and that just pushes them over the edge. So they... um, they think about pushing him over the edge of a of a pit, <laughs> but instead decide to sell him to a passing group of Israelites to become a slave. Then they took the coat, tear it up, and return home to tell their father that Joseph has been killed. Meanwhile, Joseph is taken into in- Egypt where he ends up serving this wealthy guy named Potiphar. He catches the eye of his master's wife, turns down her advances but gets thrown into jail anyway because Potiphar is jealous and jumpy. While there in jail, he starts interpreting dreams for his cellmates of sorts. Um and this catches the eye of the Pharaoh who's been having dreams but nobody's been able to interpret them. So he gets brought before the Pharaoh to do some dreamy things. Uh through the interpretations and, of course, through the um, grace of God, it's a God-given gift, he ends up saving Egypt from dying away in a famine and then eventually gets the chance to stand before his brothers when they come begging for help, not realizing it's him. Why is this one on the list? <laughs> Even though Donny Osmond is a little cringy, the, the long dark hair, uh, just hmm, but... There's a narrator throughout the story, which you don't see very often in anything. I really like a narrator that speaks to the audience. And and the songs are quirky, and it's a collection of styles and vibes. So I just, the more I watch it, the more I really appreciate it, especially because of the music. Best song, I'm going to give to the song Benjamin Calypso. It's towards the end of the show. So while in Egypt, Joseph tricks his brothers and attempts to get the youngest brother benjamin arrested as a thief kind of in retaliation but the other brothers uh speak up and try to take the blame um for the suspected thievery which kind of turns the tide for joseph realizing his brothers aren't the murderous green-eyed monsters that they were before that got him sold to the israelites so that is number two or number three sorry now on to number two number two again the 90s were a terrible time for movie musicals, but we did get 1990s Cry Baby, which is itself horrible, but holds a weirdly special place in my heart. It's 1954 Baltimore, a much different vibe than Hairspray in 1962, which we'll talk about next week. We've got Wade, Crybaby Walker, who's played by Johnny Depp. He's one of the no-good ruffians, I guess, that runs around town with his equally no good posse known as the drapes and crybaby catches the eye of allison a goody two shoes who lives on the right side of the tracks also known as square and allison is just really bored with her life and being a goody two shoes so she gets invited to the drape side of town for a party at turkey point their local hangout where she gets on a stage with the rock star crybaby for a song but squares don't sing with drapes. And Allison's boyfriend starts a legit riot. Crybaby is blamed for the brawl and sent to jail. And Allison then goes through kind of a, I don't know what to call it, a bit of an existential crisis. She thinks that Crybaby has impregnated another girl, which she hasn't. This girl's just trying to get attention. Uh, and it's eventually Allison's square grandma who um, is like, you know what, you need to stand by him. He's, he's not a bad guy. So Allison then turns all sandy from Greased, you know, a.k.a. bad girl, and she helps get Crybaby out of jail. And then there's a game of chicken between her new boyfriend and her ex-boyfriend, and the square is defeated. The end. I honestly don't know why I love this one. It's it's one of those that my older brother makes fun of me about. Uh, he makes fun of me a lot, but we we have differing movie tastes, I guess, Uh, especially in movie musicals. It's objectively ridiculous. But like I said, there's a young Johnny Depp before he went all crazy. It's set in the stylized, idyllic 1950s. The characters are quirky or downright weird, and the songs are pretty catchy. And isn't that all you really need in a movie musical? Best song is going to go to Please Mr. Jailer. So as Allison is trying to get crybaby out of jail. She ends up standing outside of the prison on a car singing, please, Mr. Jailer. Um, and does, you know, in her bad girl red dress. It's a lot of fun. So that's number two. And number one, of course, is going to go to 1992's Newsy. And for the full conversation about that one, I'm not going to make you listen to it all over again, because we just did that on Friday. Go back to last Friday's episode and you can hear all about it. Best song? I can't remember if I talked about the best song. I'm a little afraid um, that I'm going to change my mind, or I'm going to give you a different answer. But I think that only means that I love all of the songs in Newsy and Newsies, and it's impossible to pick a favorite song. But at least for today's episode, my favorite song is going to be Santa Fe. It is the song, one of the songs I sing the most. There's um, the end to lyrics. I want space, not just air. Let them laugh in my face. I don't care. Say the place. I'll be there. And I've always just, I sing that a lot when I'm frustrated and or I'm tired of being inside and I want to get outside. I want space, not just dare. So I sang twice in this episode. I do apologize. It was sort of on key. Well, I couldn't honestly even tell you if it was on key. I'm tone deaf. So there's that. But That is it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Really, it is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review so that other individuals who like, you know, random conversations about pop culture with someone who doesn't really know what they're talking about can enjoy the fun as well. We've got three more episodes. Uh, Friday, I'm going to be talking about Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. The following week, we're going to go over the top 10 musicals of the 2000s. Uh, it was a little difficult to split it up. So I was like, you know what? Just make your life easy, Emily. Just do a top 10 and just cover 21 years. And then our final episode is going to be what I consider one of the most underrated movie musicals of the 2000s, the last five years so it's going to be a good time if you could also share the podcast that would be awesome that way others can join us on the fun you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook is a bit of fun with Emily go have yourself a bit of fun today and I will see you next time